Good evening, everyone. How's it going tonight? I want to welcome those of you who are here in the room. Welcome those of you who are tuning in online as well. My name is Lyle. Uh, I'm the worship pastor here, and we're just excited to gather together to, uh, to worship. So thanks for being here. If you're new, a couple things to let you know. We do have a church app. You can download that in your app store, Elements City Church, if you grab that. Uh, man, playlists are there. You've got, uh, what else do we have in there, Dan? We've got playlists. We've got uh, upcoming events, right? What else is in That's there? That's right. That's right. Connection cards, gosh, there's so many great things in that app, and it's just worth your time. I'm telling there's you. There's an element specific version of Candy Crush hidden in the app somewhere. First person to find it gets a prize. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. I didn't even know about that. Yeah. Thank you, Dan, for making sure that we were all aware. You're welcome. Hidden version of Candy Crush in the Element City Church app. But for real, if you are new, we also have the 10-minute party. So when everything's said and done, if you want to head to the back, uh, we'll be back there for about 10 minutes. We've got a free gift for you. Uh, the rumor is it is the best kettle corn that is south of the Grand Canyon that uh, we want to uh, bless you with that and just uh, get to a chance to connect, get to know a little bit more about you. Uh, another way that you can connect with us, you can text in. Uh, so maybe you're at home and you're like, I don't want to get the app. I'm on the couch. I don't need to do that. Uh, so if you were to pull out your phone, text in 520-340-6868. You can text the word hello. That'll send you a link. Uh, tap the link. You can put in the information that way as well. And maybe or maybe we won't mail you kettle corn. We haven't figured that out yet. We're having discussions about it. So we'll figure it out at some point in time, I promise. Had a great time last night at our volunteer rally. So for those of you who get to volunteer, it was Meat Fest 2021. That's what it was. We had smoked tri-tips, smoked pulled pork. That's just a plug. If you're not involved and you want to get involved, this is what we do for our volunteers. We provide lots of barbecued meat and cookies as well. Cookies. Delicious cookies. That, there's a few in the back as well. So I've bantered enough. I've bantered enough. Let's all stand together. We're going to pray for the Church of the Week. It's Faith Christian Fellowship and their pastors, uh, John and Valerie Smith. We want to lift them up. We also want to pray that God would just move tonight in power uh, here as well. So uh, Father, we just, we come to you with joy, with hearts that are full of gratitude for all that you've done for us. We can look around the world and we can just see that there's a lot of chaos going on. Uh, but my prayer is that tonight, this would be a refuge for all who walk through these doors, for all who are tuning in online as well. Uh, just that in this next maybe hour and 10 minutes, we would just kind of cordon this space off and create sacred space for you to speak to us and for you to minister to our hearts, Lord. We pray for Faith Christian Fellowship, and uh, we lift up their pastors, uh, both John and Valerie Smith, Lord, and we just ask your anointing over them, over their church. We ask that you would give them favor. We ask that you provide all the needs that they need uh, financially so that they can be a blessing in their community. We also ask, Lord, that you just fill them with fresh vision, fresh purpose of ways that they can minister uh, to the people who are around them. Uh, so would you do a work in their church? Would you do work in our church tonight? Would this be a place, God, where we just get to see a glimpse, just a little bit of your glory tonight? And as we do, would it captivate our hearts? Would it just uh, cause this explosion of worship within us and just this desire to, to go deeper and knowing you and being loved by you and just chasing after you? So we love you, Jesus. We're excited for the work that you want to do tonight. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus lives in me For I was dead in sin But I woke up to see the light
words would ring true tonight. God, that you would search us. God, for, for what might distract us tonight. God, for, for what might pull us away from the message that you'd have us hear, from the ways that you might challenge us. God, would you search our heart for ways that are, that are not your ways? Amen. Hey, if, you, if you're here in the room or uh, at your house watching from your living room, uh, hello, waving to you. Uh, but we are going to be taking communion tonight at the end of the message. And so if you didn't get a chance to grab, uh, it, listen, it's communion on the go. It's like lunchable communion. So I'm sorry. Uh, but they are right back here on the tables at the end of each row and some in the balcony. And if you're at home, you now have some time to grab some and uh, some material that can help with uh, communion. I have done communion with Dr. Pepper and goldfish, because that's what I had at the hotel room. So um, we are leaning back into that because what we're going to talk about tonight is this interior examination uh, and, and why that is such a big deal. We've been looking into this series uh, called The Root of the Life, looking at some habits and practices that kind of root us into what does it mean to live out the ways of Jesus more and more and to be in that kind of rhythm. We've kind of looked at some external practices, like kind of this contemplative cadence, week one, and last week, this idea of rhythms of reconciliation. How do we uh, kind of come, become better at reconciling in our relationships? Because that's so much of what the world needs to see, the church actually practicing and living this out. And, and, and it's easy sometimes to get focused on the outside things, the things we can do, and, and the things that involve other people and the things that are about others. Uh, but tonight, I want to look at this rhythm that we really see a lot in Scripture. We see Jesus trying to drive home to his disciples this idea of interior in examination, this idea of kind of turning the mirror on our own life. But so much of the spiritual life Jesus invites us uh, into deals with life change and transformation he wants to do on the inside of you, on the inside of me. 
It's not necessarily uh, just outward actions because the internal changes he can do will then impact our external actions. And so there's a lot of things that sometimes, if we're honest, we live in a culture that likes to live on the surface of things. And, and we, even ourselves, get so busy or so occupied that we live on the surface of things. Anyone ever stood on a lake side shore and tried to skip rocks across the lake? How many of you would say that you're pretty darn good at that? Like, you could get five, six, seven skips on a regular basis. I see some professionals out here. Um, there, how many of you, others of you, you're like, you know, I uh, have tried, and it just sinks. It's the first time, it's just, okay, some of the amateurs out there. So um, the reality is we're on different scales of that, but the truth is uh, if you've never, like, you got to find a flat rock. This is what my dad always told me, okay? And then you got to, like, sidearm is the better way to go because you're trying to skip it across. And so that's just a little tidbit, uh, take it or leave it. But we have done that. Uh, we went to kind of up in the White Mountains when the lake was frozen over. And I'm going to tell you, it is so easy to skip a rock when the lake is frozen over. So that is what I would suggest to you is the best possible time, like January, go to a lake that's frozen over and you will be a skipping artist. Uh, that, and it makes weird sound. It like echoes uh, through that. But what we do know is the water is actually much deeper because you can canoe in that river in this, or on that lake in the summer and it's much, much deeper there. What we know about icebergs, right? Most icebergs, you only see 10% of the iceberg above the water. In fact, 90% of icebergs are usually below the water line. And I want us to keep that in mind because the reality is that's you and that's me. See, the truth is we see about 10% of one another. I project about 10% of who I am and that's who you see and that's who I see from you and the reality is that's what most people interact with. But the 90% that's below the waterline, below the visible part of who you are, really is the real you. And so there's an opportunity here as we try to want to be more and more like Jesus that I think there's some territory, in fact about 90% of the territory that God wants to go to work on in your life and in my life may not be what other people see. And that's a challenge. It's not an easy thing. So this idea of interior examination, it's much easier to look in the externals of people and make judgment calls and, and pass you know, observations and all that kind of stuff, but to really dig down deep into who you are or who I am takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort. It takes this idea of, uh, of this interior examination. We see this a lot in scriptures. In fact, we see it all over the Psalms. And uh, if you have your app, you can go down to sermon notes and follow along there with you. But in Psalm 139 in particular is one of the Psalms that I want to look at tonight. Uh, the whole first part of the Psalm is, is King David writing this and talking about how well God knows him. That, you know, he, God sees him before he's up in the morning. He sees him before wherever he goes. His hand is upon him. It's this declaration of, this beautiful declaration of God running, not just running a universe, but being dialed into him and to who he is. And that, that same God is the same God today. That he runs a universe, but he's dialed into you into your story, into your heart, into your life. And toward the tail end of this chapter, or this, uh, this chapter of the scripture, Psalm 139, the last two verses give a 
a interior examination prayer that David prays. So David sets it up with this whole idea of, okay, God, you know me, you're dialed into me, you, everything before a word is on my lips, you know everything about me. Now, I need you to search me. And I need you to search me in the inner level so that I know me. And that I can see the way you see things. And David opens himself up to this. It's a beautiful piece of scripture that we'll practice toward the end of tonight. But David does three different things in this. He made time for interior examination. It takes time to do that. He was integrated in his life enough, not fragmented, not segmented enough to know that what goes on in the inside will come out. And so, God, I need you to search me, the inner parts of me, the part that's below the waterline that people don't necessarily see because I want, I want to be a person that's more and more what, what God called David, the man after God's own heart. Now, he was broken. He made mistakes just like all of us. But it is this call to say, I want to know more about that. It invited God into his inner world. He had the courage to face himself. I don't know if, I haven't watched this show yet, but have you watched the show Alone? Uh, it's about 10 people who get dropped off in the middle of nowhere. They've got like 10 items and they have nothing. They have a camera. They got to film themselves. I was just listening to a podcast all about this today. And it's these folks that are out there and they have, they're not competitors because they don't know what the other people are doing. But the one who kind of, you know, survivor like outwits, outlasts, outplays type thing at the end wins like half a million dollars. But you don't know what the other contestants or other participants are doing. You only have a camera that you film your inner thoughts and you're alone. And you don't know if you're going to be alone for 10 days, 20 days. There's been an episode or a season up to 100 days in this that the winner's then, and when they come and get you, when you tap out and call the radio, you, they don't tell you if there's only two more people, only one more person, if there's five more. It's a crazy show in that sense. And the reality is it's a documentary a lot on people who have to face themselves. And they do a lot of interior examination about who they are, what motivates them, and how they go through things. And we don't let the busyness of life, so often in our culture, our world, we get so busy and preoccupied that we don't necessarily face ourselves. We face circumstances, situations, and people that come our way, but we get distracted from dealing with the things that maybe God wants to do at work on the inside. See, Jesus said his Father is always at work, always at work. We talked last week of Philippians 1.6 that he who, uh, he who prepared a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He who's doing that work will be continue to work at this and that we are always a, a people under construction this side of heaven. That uh, we have work to do and God has work to do in us and will we participate in that? So many folks in our life, we, we tend to, to split up into compartmentalization. And compartmentalization of our lives remains, I think, one of the most dangerous temptations for followers of Jesus. Because it's easy to say, okay, this is my church life, this is my work life, this is my relationship life, and we split things off, and we don't let the, remember when you were a kid, you don't let the peas touch the potatoes, right? Because that contaminated it. And sometimes we live life that way. We don't want the things to touch because we want to be this way over here and we want to be this way over here. And yet when you begin to look at that more and more, what we see in the life of Jesus is, no, no, you're not meant to be a fragmented person or a segmented person or a compartmentalized person. You're meant to be a whole person. 
And so there's work to do as part of this renewing, restoring work that Jesus wants to do as we surrender our life to him. And it's saying, Jesus, you have permission to work with us and to work with me. That See, if I have uh, little time for reflection, then I might end up having dangerous reactions. If I don't actually make the time to work on myself and to be this place where I don't live a segmented life, but I live a whole life. Do you remember one of the first questions God asked in the Bible in Genesis? Humanity, Adam and Eve, remember? They take of the fruit, thing God said don't to do, and God's first question is, where are you? Isn't that fascinating? That that's the first question we hear from God in the scriptures. Where are you? How many times have you found yourself hiding? If you're honest, how many times have you found yourself trying to hide? So many times in our spiritual journey, there's parts where we say, God, you can have it all except this room. Like, this room is my room, and like, I'm just going to keep that door closed. You can have access to 98% of my life, but this room is off limits. We put up no trespassing signs. We say, God, I don't want to deal with this stuff because either that's stuff from my past or that's habits or hangups that I'm battling, and I don't want you to mess with that because I feel shame or guilty or bad about that, and, and I don't know if I want to face that trauma. I don't want to face the hard work that that's going to be to actually deal with that. And so let's just focus in this room over here. My hunch is I'm not alone in wrestling with that. My hunch is you probably, if you have any kind of self-awareness and you've been walking with Jesus a while, that there might be some rooms that God knocks on to say, hey, can I come in there? See, you're hiding some brokenness here that either you don't want to deal with or, or you, you enjoy it, but I've got something better for you. Can, can I come in there? Because I have something better for you. See, Jesus does this with his disciples early on, and I think he still does this with his disciples today. Psalm 139, David captured this idea of, hey, search me, God, all of me, and know the wickedness that might be in me, the things that are out of alignment with you, bring them to mind that I might confess those, that I might bring those to you, and you might bring some healing touch. Read the last two verses of Psalm 139. Here's what Jesus said when he gets to his disciples, just to kind of camp on something that we see in the pattern of Jesus. He says this in Luke chapter 6, hey, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And we can look at this from a judgment standpoint, but really what Jesus is doing, hey, is this is about interior examination. Uh, why do you spend so much energy looking at the speck of the issue of someone else around you? Can we just turn around and acknowledge you have a two-by-four sticking out of your eye? Can we work on that? Can we go to work on, on the things that are inside of you? And Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, listen, if you'll work on you, then you'll be cleared up and we'll be healthy enough to be able to help other people. But we live in a culture, if we're just honest, where it's so much easier to look at the speck in other people's eye 
and to point things out and to articulate and actually even speak into what motivates them and why they are the way they are, instead of actually taking the energy and time it is to turn the mirror around and say, whoa, do I have some things that I need to work on? This was a really hard sermon to prep because the mirror kept getting turned around. And there were a lot of times this week where it was like, oh, I didn't realize that door was closed again. <laughs> I didn't realize that my overreaction there was actually about me, not the scenario or the situation. That's on me. And there's stuff here that you gotta deal with, God. Friends, that's the invitation that Jesus continually called his followers. He said, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you fail to see the plank in your own, you hypocrite? First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly. He goes on the very next verse. No good tree bears bad fruit. No bad tree bears good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man or woman brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart. An evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is a challenging passage, and we see this often in the life of Jesus, calling his disciples to say, look, let's look inward first before we just spend our energy broadcasting outward and giving our opinions and thoughts about all these things out here. Each of us will live out of the overflow of our own heart, and we may be able to hide for a while, we might be able to spin things for a little while, but truly what is inside will make its way out. That's why it's important to allow God to do the internal examination of our own hearts. That's why it's important to live a whole life, not a segmented or fragmented kind of life. The life of faith is not about compartmentalization. It's about giving God an all-access pass to you and say, God, I want to be more and more like Jesus. And so will you go to work working on me, helping me see things that are out of alignment? Anyone ever had their car out of alignment where it's driving down the road and it just continues to pull left or pull right and you have to go in and get it aligned in order for it to drive and work correctly? The same is true for you, friend. The same is true for me. I tell people, all the time who are going through scenarios and situations and struggles in life, and sometimes I'll ask, hey, have you ever sought to really just spend some time with God to have him work on you? Or maybe you're at a point where you feel like there might be another coach who can come alongside to help you. Healthy people seek out counsel. Unhealthy people hide. That's the truth I've learned in 30 years of ministry. Healthy people seek out counsel because sometimes it's bigger than you. That's why I'm telling you, I see a counselor. That's, that's why I have a group of other pastors that I, I live my life in front of the best I know how because I know I have blind spots. I know I have habits and hangups that hold me back and I need other people around me who can say, listen, you can do better than that because God has better for you. And I want to be healthy and whole. I'm not perfect, far from it. 
But what I want to be is healthy and moving forward. See, we want to grow in our awareness of God, and yet sometimes our awareness of God is blocked because of our, our inability to be self-aware of ourselves. And there's issues or things going on in us, and it's hindering our ability to actually see God, our need for God to continually be at work in us that we are under construction. Here's interior examination quotes throughout history. Socrates, 300 BC, the unexamined life is not worth living. St. Augustine, 350 AD, oh God, let me know myself, let me know you. John Wesley in the 1700s, the knowledge of God and that of ourselves are connected. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And my favorite one from Ice Cube, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> the truth is self-examination is an important part of our whole life. We see examination in the scriptures. We're told to examine our own hearts before we come before the Lord's table and remember him in communion. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, you need to have an urgency to examine your own heart. Don't come flippantly before God. But you need to understand that what he's done for you and why he needed to do it. Because you're broken. And you need to own part of that. We need to examine our own faith. Paul talks about this, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself. See that you are of faith. Test yourself. Uh, understand the, the, the authenticity of who you are. Examine your ways. Lamentations talks about let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let's understand what's going on on the inside. Examination of our work, Paul talks about in Galatians 6. If we want to be faithful to God and seek to have a deeply formed way of life where we live more and more like Jesus, then self-examination has to be a part of the rhythm of how we live. And listen, it is hard work. It just is. To be alone with yourself and actually try to understand the way, why you do what you do is not for the faint of heart. Because it's challenging. Sometimes the ugliness we see within ourselves. But in that moment, we're inviting the Holy Spirit, we're inviting Jesus to go to work because we are continually a work in progress. He will be faithful to complete it, but this side of heaven, we got work to do. And the Spirit of God wants to do that work in us so that we can be freed up. See, the self-examination is about freedom. It's about freedom away from the lies that are either spoken over you or spoken into you or you spoke into your own life. It's freedom from the trauma that was maybe a part of your life that seemed to mark who you are but it does not have to have the final word over you. See, self-examination, this idea of inviting God into your wholeness of who you are and to bring his healing touch is about your freedom to break free from the inner messages or lies or dangerous habits or thought patterns that kind of run you ragged if you're honest. And if we could just be honest about who we are. See, you can't fight a lie. You have to replace it. And you have to replace it with truth. That's why the scriptures talk about, Paul writes, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive. Why? To make it obedient to Christ. We want the truth of what God says and who God says you are to be actually what rings between your ears, not something that your dad said 30 years ago 
that's still a script in your life or something that your mom said or your uncle said or that your aunt did. See, this is the hard work of self-examination. This is the invitation we have to say, God, we want to get better. We want to understand. So how do we grow at working on our interior examination? I want to give you three ways that I think are practical and helpful uh, biblically that we see. Examining, maybe the first one, examining our family of origin in our growing up years. For some of us, maybe for most of us, our family of origin in our growing up years, it marks you like nothing else. It can mark you in incredibly healthy ways, and it can mark you in incredibly unhealthy ways. How many of you would say that's true? That there are some patterns or habits or demeanors or cultural issues that happened in your family in your growing up years that you probably still carry. Now, some of that might be fun, some of that might be a beautiful thing. Some of you have uh, the ability to, you have mannerisms that you carry on from generation to generation, and people say, oh, you're just like your dad, or you just, like, you have those mannerisms. And those aren't bad things, they're great things, they're funny things. But some of us, in your story, you have some things that mark your family, or mark a scenario, or a moment, or a situation that happened in your growing up years that still seems to linger with you. It's like this old record player that keeps playing in the back of your mind, and no matter how hard you work, or how much you try to achieve, you can't seem to escape this thing that seems to be over you, and following you. It's kind of like Linus's blanket. It's like always there. And if you don't do the hard work, of saying, God, I, know, I want you to help me understand. Maybe there's some things, some patterns, some habits, some, some scripts that were spoken into my life or spoken over my life that I still believe that aren't true. They're a lie. And I've never, I just tried to battle that lie. But the reality is you can't battle it. You have to replace it. And so to look to the scriptures and to look to God and what he says about your life, the, the genogram is, is a family systems theory tool that helps walk people through kind of, it's way more than a family tree, but it's understanding kind of realities of what aunts and uncles and mothers and fathers and grandfathers, and, and if you've never looked at that, if you're a person who says, listen, I've got some issues in my past, like my family lineage is just marked by some things that I think still affect me, then friend, maybe it'd be worth the hard work to begin to have some other people come alongside you and work through that. What if you're the generation that breaks the cycle of alcoholism? What if you're the generation that breaks the cycle of abuse? What if you're the generation that breaks the cycle of just this negative, um, just bullying of people? What if you're the generation who speaks hope instead of hurt? How much more freedom would you experience if you did the hard work to say, God, it stops with me. I want to have a new trajectory in my family lineage going forward for generations that you would do that. I've told you before, one of the things I admired about, uh, admire about my dad is his ability to apologize. When I was a kid, I grew up as, a, as a, a young one, understanding that when my dad made a mistake, he'd own that. So do you know what I try to do? When I make a mistake, I try to own it. And I want my kids to 
when they make a mistake to own that. Why? Because that is a healthy way to live. And I know lots of generations of people who do not live that way. And you could convince them with biblical truth and real truth of life and they'll deny, 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 deny. And my hunch is you know people like that. In fact, you may have grown up in a family like that. And so it begins to mark you or, or to change you. And so what if it is that you begin to look at that? What if you look at acute anxiety or chronic anxiety? Acute anxiety is situational. We all face acute anxiety at times. But chronic anxiety is like this undercurrent of anxiety that sits under your life. And it begins to feed everything and filter everything through that lens of anxiety. And for some of you, you have that as a part of your story. And I don't know if it goes back lineage or if it's just you know, one generation or two or three, but that has marked your life and it's changed you and shaped you in a way that you don't like it. So what if you said, God, I want to change that and I need you to go to work in me and I need to get the right kind of people around me and the right kind of practices and tools that I can utilize to help me help our family going forward have a different trajectory. That two or three generations from now, I will be blessed and happy that I made that decision. Listen, is that easy to do? No. You know what's easy to do? Wake up every day and just do it the same as yesterday. Survive it. And a lot of people do that. And a lot of people have done that for generation after generation after generation. And they are where they are because of where they were. And yet, I think what we see in the scripture is this invitation to let God into the interior of who we are, the 90% that most people don't see, and say, God, would you go to work? I give you permission. All the doors are open. I want to be healthy and whole, and I want to be more and more like Jesus. And I know that's going to take work. And listen, if it took generations to get there, it's not going to be solved in one counseling session. So give yourself permission not to have it fixed like a sitcom. Things don't get resolved in 30 minutes. That's the reality of life. But keep making progress and keep stepping forward in that. Learn to examine your feelings. Your feelings can be very deceiving. And a lot of folks, especially in our culture, want to live by our feelings. And yet our feelings are very fickle. And they can be deceiving. Uh, feelings, in a lot of ways, can be like those indicators. How many of you have been driving down the road before and an uh, indi indicator light on your dashboard comes on, check engine light, something like that? Uh, and what do you do in that moment? Some of you take out duct tape and you put it over the light so you don't see it, right? No. What you notice with an indicator light is saying is, hey, something's wrong here. Something needs to be looked at. Something needs to be identified. And we need to go through the process of actually doing this. You do this for your car. Why not do this for your life? Why not learn to recognize feelings as sometimes being an indicator light of something that's going on? Have you ever been uh, wrestling with your anger and realized your anger it's really not about your anger. It's really about your hurt. See, most angry people are just hurt people. And they don't, they haven't seen it, or they haven't noticed it, or they haven't had the courage to face it yet. 
And so disappointment and resentment, it just kind of builds up in life, and it just spews out because it's just overflowing the cup. And the truth is we all have an emotional cup that runs our life and is a part of that. But if we let our feelings run us, then it'll run us over. But if we learn to look, maybe here's four questions to ask yourself from time to time. When you find yourself kind of wanting to do an examination of just your feelings, what are you mad about? And actually begin to write it out, begin to think about it. What am I mad about? Why am I mad about that? What are you sad about? Uh, What's driving that? What are you anxious about? What are you glad about in that? See, for most of us, we never really take the time to ask ourselves these questions. We might as we fall asleep and we're like, man, why am I so angry? And then we wake up the next morning angry because we never actually take the time to go, why am I angry? What's stirring inside of me? Is there a hurt here that I haven't mourned well? As we wrestle with these questions, we want to be freed up to love God more and to love people better. That's the point of dealing with things in a healthy way. It's freed up to live more the way Jesus said, to love God, to love people. You can't do that when you're mad all the time. You can't do that when you're anxious all the time. You can't do that when you're sad all the time. There are moments of all those emotions we all have. But if it's a lingering thing, for example, and let me give this. Examine your reactions. This is where I'll go. Examine not just your feelings, but examine your reactions. Our reactions are an important revelation to us in our lives. Let me ask you this. Have there ever been moments when your reaction to people or to moments or to news or experiences are disproportionate to the event that actually happened? Mine was yesterday. As I'm talking to my dad on the phone. And we're having this passionate conversation, right? And I'm realizing as I hang up the phone that I am very riled up. And I hang up the phone, and I'm sitting in my chair at my desk, and I'm like, whoa, why, where did that come from? Like, uh, what is that? Because that seems more than what that conversation just was. The easy thing to do, the American thing to do, is just walk downstairs to the kitchen to eat something, right? The healthy Jesus way of living is to sit there and to begin to write down on a post-it note, why am I angry? Oh, it's because of that. Let's turn up that tape that I always heard. Why do I always hear that? I don't need to hear that. What's the gospel have to say about this? What does Jesus have to say about who I am? And I'm beginning to replace the lies with truth. You know what's easier to do? (laughs) Just go downstairs and eat something. (laughs) It's hard to actually stop and take inventory. It's not for the faint of heart but it is to have a healthy life 
the opportunity that we're invited into to say, Jesus, would you go to work helping me see things that maybe I don't see? Uh, what if you begin to examine your reactions by asking these questions? Why am I reacting this way? What's causing me to feel this angst or this anxiety? Why, why am I triggered when that person texts me? Everybody else can text me. When that person texts, I just get triggered by it. Anyone have someone like that? Don't nudge anyone next to you. When you find yourself negatively or disproportionately reacting, maybe ask these questions. What happened? Why am I feeling this way? What is the story I'm telling myself? And is it true? Anyone ever have imaginary conversations with people where you win all the arguments? Do you know what that's an indication of? You're angry. You're hurt. What if you took the same amount of time that you invested in winning the imaginary conversations and actually just turned the mirror instead of kind of the, the binoculars out on someone else but turn the mirror into yourself and go, okay, why am I driving down the road having this imaginary conversation with someone that's not in the car with me? And I'm winning, and that's cool. But why am I having that? What, what's here, God, that you're trying to get my attention with? What's, what's the door you're knocking on? And can I open that to you? And would you go to work showing me? See, the world is desperate in desperate need of people who are willing to more deeply examine themselves before examining others. See, the work of other examination, that's all too natural for us. That's what breeds judgmentalness and anger-filled, suspicion-driven, canceled culture. That's what drives that. People who are not willing to look internally first. The way and viewing of judging and comparing others is easy, but the way of self-examination is hard. But it is about our development and our alignment with Jesus. Ultimately, you know what it's about? Discipleship. That's what it's about. That's a big deal for us here. We wanna help people grow as a disciple. A disciple is someone who knows and follows Jesus is becoming more like Jesus and is committed to the mission of Jesus. That means, Jesus, I need to give you permission to search my heart and to be able to knock on any door you want. And for me to unlock that, to take the no trespassing sign down and say, God, I, I probably need some help here. And I've either been too busy in ignoring it or I'm too hurt and I don't want to deal with it, or I'm too anxious and it's too hard to try to get past this. And Jesus would say to you and he would say to me, I can help with that. Can we do it together? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. So, We'll close tonight. Uh, lean into a worship song, but I want us to take a moment. I want to invite you uh, outside the confines of the service or even tuning in from online to take 10 minutes this week 
and actually just sit with Psalm 139. Read through the whole psalm because it's gonna show you how much God actually knows you, how much he's actually dialed into you. And then pause on verse 23 and 24. And just sit with this. Here's what that verse says. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. What if maybe one of the best things you could do for yourself to grow as a disciple of Jesus is just practice this prayer of self-examination and to give God space and opportunity to work on you. I know you're smart. I know you got other people's problems figured out. I know if they would just listen to you, they'd be better. But can we just, can we let that speck go? And let's worry about the two by four in ourselves first. Can we just zero in and turn the mirror instead of the binoculars and just say, God, would you start here first? Your grace is sufficient for me. So keep working on me. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to pray us through communion tonight. And so if you have communion, if you're at home and you went and got that, or here again, this balcony or the back of the two rows here, you're welcome to go grab that. Um, I know it's the, it's the lunchable ones, and so it has a cellophane thing on top that hides the cracker, uh, and then the juice is underneath that uh, if you're getting one from here. And I just want to create space. Uh, actually, I want to invite Danny up to maybe just play underneath, but I just want to create space for us to have kind of a self-examination moment. Uh, we're coming uh, to a place of communion, of remembering that it's Jesus and his love for you, his grace for you. It's his life, his death, his resurrection that prepared a way for you to have a right relationship with God through faith in him and him alone. And so as we sit here, I just want to invite you to kind of listen to this prayer and pray along with me if you want. And I'm going to give you some space just to sit and examine. And maybe what you're going to examine is just yourself to say, God, man, I am blown away by the reality that Jesus, you came for me. Like me. Like I messed up, I'm broken. And you still said that I'm valuable to you. And you came for me. I don't want to live a hidden life, a fragmented life, a segmented life, a compartmentalized life. That's not life. That's segments. I want to live a whole life, a full life, like Jesus said. So as you bow your heads, would you just let these words be spoken into you and over you? You pray along with it. We'll take 30 seconds of just silence. You take communion on your own when you're ready following this prayer. We'll dive into the last worship song tonight. I invite you to let your heart worship along with that. But Father, we come to the table tonight. Lord's Supper. We're again reminded 
to let ourselves, that left to ourselves, we'd be separated from you. We'd still be engulfed in our brokenness, lost in our feeble efforts to try to rescue ourselves. But we come before you in this table tonight in freedom because you are the one who provided rescue through faith in your son. Then his life and his death and his resurrection has not only paved the way home to relationship with you, but it also paves the way forward and having you renew me, restore me, transform me, me to be more like Jesus. So we confess our ways to you tonight. Ways we are still living for less than your best. Ways that our own brokenness still dominates our actions, our thoughts, our behaviors. We confess that we need your grace to live life and the freedom that you provide. We continually search and look for you to search us, to lead us, to call us forward into your best for us. Would you help us to continually stay open to your conviction and to your nudges, to your healing touch, to help us become more and more what you desire us to be? So Father, in these next moments, would you search our hearts? Would you reveal to us? Would you call us forward into your healing and into your hope? We confess that we needed you yesterday, we need you today, and we need you tomorrow. So now take a moment, just you and God. Allow him to pursue you as you focus on him. And then when you're ready, take communion remembering Jesus' body broken for you, the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And we'll worship together.
sufficient for you, friend. It longs to meet us where we're at and lead us one step at a time to where he longs and desires you to be. The question is, will you let him? I pray so. You will be blessed as you do. So friends, thanks for gathering with us, gathering online with us. We are thrilled to do life together. Um, Sometimes we know that's from home and sometimes that's here. And we just love being engaged, doing life together. And so we do a lot of different things. Uh, Thank you to all of you who are volunteers here. We had a volunteer rally celebration last night with our team and missed some of you. And maybe you're sitting here going, hey, I'd like to be part of a team. We'd love to talk with you about that. Uh, Invite you to be a part of uh, one of our teams from time to time. We encourage folks to maybe serve one Sunday a month and kind of set the table for everybody else. And so that's maybe something you can look into down the road. If you're new with us tonight, we are thrilled to have you here. If you're online, fill out the connection card or leave a comment. We'll follow up with you. If you're here, I want to invite you to the 10-minute party, which will be in that back corner, and I will sprint there afterwards. And so I'd love to meet you and kind of hear your story a little bit. Uh, And we have lots of different e-groups that are kind of beginning to get rolling again, a women's group. We've got a new blended family group that's probably a month away from getting started. So if that's of interest, talk to Lyle or myself 
or someone, uh, Amy, out at the lobby table. We'll try to get you connected to the right place. There's uh, tables out or information about e-groups out there. Um, again, 10-minute party, but I want to close tonight just kind of praying over, um, we got a lot of friends, got, we got people here who have friends and family in New Orleans area and the hurricane that's affecting there. So we'd like to pray for all the folks that are going to be dealing with uh, just the issues that come with that. We're praying for God's protection there and also praying for, um, man, we got families who have, you know, 13 soldiers coming home, um, not the way they wanted. And so we'd like to pray for those families as well and pray for us, just a blessing over us that God would continue to do the interior work in us. And so would you just pray with me? So Father, we lift our, the folks in New Orleans um, who are dealing with uh, this hurricane that sustained more force than we were hoping. So God, we pause and we're praying and asking for your mercy, your provision, your presence, your help. May your churches in that area rally to help and to be your hands and feet. We pray as it continues to move forward that just in your mercy and grace that it would be less than necessary and we're praying for your protection over people. And God, we pray for the families that have sons and daughters coming home. God, we continue to pray for what's going on in Afghanistan. We ask for your mercy your intervention, your activity. And God, for these families, uh, a supernatural kind of comfort that can only come from you. It's not situational. It's supernatural. So would you help us as the church to pray? Prayer moves your heart. Father, we also pray that we would be people that would pause and pray internally too. That we would be able to examine our reactions, our feelings, the situations around us, that we want to be holistic kind of people, a Jesus kind of people. That live the full life that he promised and his power can provide as we cooperate and lean into the work you want to do in our own lives. God, our world needs your work, and we pray for that. But our world, our heart, my heart, it needs your work too. Thanks for being big enough to handle all of that. And so would you help us to be your church this week as we go from here? Put your blessing over each one, whether online or here in the room. Would you let them know that they're your favorite and that your grace is sufficient for them? We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Have a great week, friends. We'll see you next Sunday.